Well, good morning to you. It's lovely to be with you. My name, as uh, Graham has said, is Michael Healy. Um, I'm retired and really enjoying retirement. For 20, the last 23 years, uh, I was the pastor of the Finley Church in the centre of Glasgow. So it's nice to be out in the country this morning. Great to be with you. And uh, I'm also involved in Precept Ministries. Precept Ministries is a lovely ministry that encourages folks to engage with God's Word because we meet Jesus in the Word. And Jesus is the only one who can change us. So the better we get to know Jesus, it will be because the the deeper we are in God's word. And uh, in my 30 plus years of ministry, I have to tell you that uh, it's true to say that um, the jewels that we discover in God's word are wedged between the lines. And we've, we've got to root around and dig for them a little bit. So precepts is a ministry that just helps us to slow down and to focus on God's word and to meet Jesus in the word. And uh, I can't commend it highly enough. I think I met Eileen at a training day in Kirkenturk Baptist, hence the invitation to come this morning. So do blame it on Eileen if it doesn't go well. I'd like you to turn with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter 6. We're going to read a very familiar passage, and then we're going to think about it. Uh, The context of the passage is very, very interesting. In the early part of the chapter, Jesus sends out the twelve on that mission trip, and the next section has John the Baptist being beheaded, which was quite a tragic time, really. And then the section we're going to read is Jesus feeds the 5,000. So, reading from verse 30, the apostles gathered round Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him, This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish, And looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was five thousand. What a wonderful passage of scripture to read this morning. Why don't we have a little pray together? 
Lord God, we come to you to say thank you so much for giving us your precious word. We want to say, Lord, that sometimes we read it and we, we're at a loss to know what it means. But we pray that this morning, that as we come, you'd send your Holy Spirit, that he would break it into very small pieces, and that you would speak to us in such clear tones that we can understand what it is you're saying to us through your word. And we pray that what we hear might minister to us very deeply and encourage us and bless us. Oh Lord God, we need you so much. So please come and help us because we ask it as we give you thanks in the precious and the wonderful name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, I've been in ministry for quite a long number of years, more than it's appropriate for me to tell you. But for the last 23, 24 years, we were in Finlay. And Finlay is one of the student churches in the city, in Glasgow. And one of the wonderful things about having young folks in churches is you tend to get to do weddings. And I really love conducting weddings. I'd rather do a wedding any day than a funeral. And one of the nice things about weddings is that, is that I tend to get the best view of the bride. And you know, in all the weddings I've done, I've never seen a bride who doesn't look absolutely beautiful. Well, I did a wedding actually, not uh, yesterday, but a week yesterday. And it's so lovely to have uh, the bride and the groom stand in front of me. I always get them to face each other because I want them to say their promises to each other, not to me because they're not marrying me. So every time uh, I conduct a wedding, my wife and I always re- 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 uh, see it as the retaking of our own vows. So I've been married more times than anybody that you've ever met. However, uh, last Saturday week, uh, the bride and groom stood in front of me. The bride was looking absolutely beautiful Uh, and I said to him I said will you uh, take so and so to be your wife will you love her he said I will and then I said to her "Will, will you take him to be your husband will you love him and she said I will and uh, then we prayed a prayer of blessing for them because we don't really know what's going to happen in the days to come But so often, folks do run into some difficulties of one kind or another. And that's because there's great confusion as to what love is. Some folks say love is being helpful and not scornful. Well, I'm not sure that that's an adequate definition of love. And others say, goodness me, I can't, I I need my glass, I need my binoculars here. What does it say? Having someone to hug. Having someone to hug. Well, there you go. That's what love is, having someone to hug. And here's another one. What's that one say? Someone who makes you laugh. Someone who makes you laugh and worry less. And here's another one, too. I like this one. <laughs> His warm, have somewhere warm to put your cold feet. Uh, well, most, most guys know all about that one. So there's a lot of confusion about love and what love is and what love isn't. And yet when it comes to a wedding, uh, and we talk to folks uh, 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 in an attempt to prepare them for marriage, when we plan the service, we very often say, well, what scriptures would you like read? And very often folks choose the love chapter, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And sometimes we read that at weddings. I generally start uh, from the end of chapter 
uh, 12. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Well, isn't it interesting there? Paul says he wants to show them the most excellent way. And the most excellent way, clearly, is is having love. Because three times he he says, well, he says, if I don't have love, I'm, I'm like a resounding gong. I'm all noise. And no substance. All noise and no substance. And if I don't have love, I am nothing. And if I give everything away, I, I, but don't have love, I possess nothing. So love is the most excellent way. Now some folks think that this chapter is the, the most wonderful definition of love. Particularly these verses. Love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. But you know what Paul was doing here? He wasn't giving them a definition of love. He was actually addressing a live situation in the church. And if you read through the, the epistle of Corinthians, you'll see that Paul is addressing live situations. He says, listen, love is patient. Why? Because they were being impatient with each other. He says, love is kind. And why, why did he say that? Because they were being unkind to one another. And so it goes all the way through. If there was one thing that the Corinthians needed, it was more of the love of Jesus. You see, the church was divided over theology. Over practice, there were some folks who were kind of posh, and uh, other folks like us who were ordinary, and, and they, they had a little bit of tension between the two of them. And some said they followed Paul, and others said, "Well, I follow Peter." And uh, somebody else said, "Well, I follow Apollos, and you know, mine's bigger than yours." It was kind of one-upmanship all the way through the church, and it wasn't very, very happy. And yet they all claimed to follow Christ. The truth is we read this passage with some happy thoughts about love. But I have to tell you that when I read this passage, I find it a little scary. Do you know why I find it scary? Because it presents us with a standard that I don't think I could ever meet. Do you know how many times in the New Testament it tells us that we should love each other? Any ideas? It tells us 11 times, love one another. So it's really important. When God says something to us twice, it's not because he has an intellectual stutter. It's because he really wants us to grab hold of how important it is. So saying 11 times that we are to love each other is really important. Now, there's a little phrase in in, in, uh, verse 5 of chapter 13. And it says, love is not easily Angered. That's interesting. It's not easily angered. In the uh, Revised Standard Version and the ESV, it renders it differently. It says, love is not irritable or resentful. Love is not irritable 
or resentful. I find it really interesting that sometimes Paul tells us what love is, and then other times he tells us what love isn't. And here he's telling us what love isn't. Now let me ask you a question. I'm not looking for an answer because that would be too embarrassing. Do you ever get irritable? Are you ever grumpy? I should ask your husband or your wife or your kids or your, or your, or your, your folks. Are you, do you ever get ticked off? What happens? When I retired I thought this is wonderful. I'm going to be the first out of the church from now on. But my wife is, is, really loves people and we're still the last out of the church. She's just going on staff in Kirkentillic as, um, as their pastor worker. But you know, I have to tell you that sometimes I'm there, I'm waiting, and I'm looking at my watch, I'm thinking, boy, it's time to get home for lunch, and there she is chatting to somebody. And maybe you're like that too. You've, you've been asked to give somebody a lift home, and, and there you're ready to go, but, but there in a deep conversation with Graham, you think, come on, Graham, for goodness sake, would you just let her go? It's time for us to go. Do you ever get grumpy or irritable? Well, do you know, irritability is anger's trigger finger. It's anger's trigger finger. A spiritual readiness to get angry. And I think we need to learn to love the way Jesus loves. We need to learn to love the way Jesus loves. Now, we read some wonderful verses from Mark chapter 6. And we need to think about the context. Jesus had sent the disciples out on a short-term missions trip. And they'd gone out without bread, without money. And they'd gone out to preach repentance, to tell people that it was important that they come and say sorry to Jesus in order to get right with him. They were to heal the sick and they were to cast out demons. And I think that when they came back to Jesus, they were really excited to tell him of all that happened. Because the Spirit of God had come upon them in some kind of power. It says in verse 30 that the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and, and taught. Now, mission trips, I think, generally are pretty tiring. So I suspect that when the apostles came back to Jesus, they were pretty tired. But you know, our Lord Jesus was very caring, and he still is. So Jesus took note of, of how tired they were. He says in verse 31, then because so many people were coming and going, that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. Uh, and get some rest. They were so busy that they didn't even have time to stop for a cup of tea. They were that busy. Now, church is like that sometimes, isn't it? Somebody said that 10% of the, uh, of, uh, no, was it 10% of the congregation do 90% of the work. I hope it's not like that in this church. But, but sometimes it is like that. Maybe you've heard the little poem uh, that says, Mary had a little lamb, was given her to keep, but then it joined the local church and died from lack of sleep. Maybe... Maybe, maybe you've heard that. It's like that. It's good to be busy in God's work, but you know, sometimes we can be so busy that we can forget that our prime calling is to worship Him. We can forget that. Well, these disciples, these apostles were so busy that uh, uh, they, they didn't even have time to eat. In verse 32, so they went away by themselves 
in a boat to a solitary place. How lovely that Jesus saw that they were tired and, uh, and decided that they needed a little bit of a break so he was going to take them away just to do that. And at, the, at this moment it's, it's hard not to envy Philip and Bartholomew and the rest of the disciples for the sweet privilege of going away to spend uh, time with Jesus and to rest for a while. But unfortunately things didn't go quite the way they had hoped because Jesus, we understand, was the most popular man in the whole of Israel and uh, as such there was a constant demand for his teaching and healing ministry and people followed Jesus the way the paparazzi followed uh, the stars today except they didn't have cameras and when the people looked across the lake and they saw the familiar sail of the boat that Jesus was in with the disciples they hurried along the shoreline they ran uh, to reach the place where the boat was going to land many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Now, just imagine how the disciples felt. They'd been doing business for God. And they'd been busy. And they'd seen blessing. But they were tired. And they didn't even have an opportunity of eating. And Jesus recognized that and said, come on, we'll go away. We'll just get some rest. We'll have some downtime. But, oh dear, when they arrived where they were going, they were disappointed to see a large crowd. Look at verse 34. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Well, they landed. The disciples were hungry and wanted to get some food and have some rest. But Jesus saw the people. They were sheep, like sheep without a shepherd, and he had compassion. That's a really interesting word, compassion. It comes from a word that has to do with your stomach. And I don't know if you've ever had bad news. You probably have. And when you get really bad news, where does it hit you? You feel it in the pit of your stomach, don't you? Oh, wow. And there was Jesus, and he looked at these people. And he was moved with compassion. It's wonderful to have a saviour who is so sensitive that he can be moved to compassion. Well, Jesus was moved to compassion when he saw these folks. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them. Now, we don't know how long the teaching session went on. But I suspect in the minds of the disciples, it went on and on and on and on. And the longer Jesus taught, the wearier and hungrier the disciples came. So it says in verse 35, by this time it was late in the day, so the disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Now, we're not told, but we wonder, did they interrupt him mid-flow in his teaching? Did they say, hey, Jesus, just a minute, Jesus, just a minute, this is a very remote place. And it's already very late. And what they didn't say is, we're really hungry, Lord. They were, they were getting irritated, weren't they? They were getting irritated. It sounds reasonable. And yet the disciples were getting irritated and exasperated. So much so that they actually gave Jesus an instruction. They told him what to do. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now imagine that, telling Jesus what to do. You wouldn't dream of doing that, would you? 
sometimes we do that, don't we? When we're a bit irritable. The psalmist did it too. How long must I wait, Lord? Would you not wake up? Do you even know, Lord? And the psalmist began to shout at God. Now, we're much too polite to do that. But inside, sometimes we shout at God, don't we? We really do. Well, I wonder what tone of voice they used when they said to Jesus, send the people away. Was it a gentle voice? Or or was it just a little bit firm and forthright? Send the people away so that they can go. Did they speak like that? Maybe they'd been speaking to one another and just commiserating, saying how hungry they were. I'm starving. Why don't the people just leave us? Why doesn't he work it out that it's time to quit? What Jesus said and did reveal his heart of love. Look at verse 37. He said, you give them something to eat. Jesus was never one to miss a teaching opportunity. And if the disciples wanted to take charge, why didn't they provide dinner? And you know, they thought that was absolutely preposterous. And the sarcasm in their response is an indicator of the extent of their irritation. How did they respond? Well, they said in verse, end of verse 37, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much money on bread and give it to them to eat? You can almost hear them thinking, well, you know, if we had that much money, we could spend it on other things. Why, why, why should we feed these folks? They're hangers on. They're not even dedicated followers. They're just here out of curiosity, wanting to get something from you. And you're going to feed them. We're not told what they thought, of course. But what they said is an indication of the extent of their irritation. And if the disciples wanted to take charge, then why didn't they think about feeding the people? Well, clearly they didn't have the resources to do so. And in the end, it was Jesus who supplied dinner for everyone. Do you remember... One of the other accounts tells us of a small boy who had his picnic lunch. And when he heard that Jesus wanted it, he he happily gave it. Sometimes we have a small picnic lunch or something similar. And Jesus wants it. And Jesus took that lunch and he blessed it and he broke it. And he multiplied it and he fed 5,000 plus women and children. And how wonderful that was. Jesus supplied food for everybody. But you know the wonderful thing for me is that Jesus never got irritated. The disciples were irritated. Now love is not easily angered. Now what can we learn from this passage? What can we learn? Well I think there are a number of things that we can learn. We ask the question, who gets irritated? And the reality is everyone gets irritated. Irritated, including people who are busy serving God. People who are busy serving God get irritated. But we need to understand that love is not easily irritated. Now, who knows? But in your Bible club next week, you might have the local hooligan in. We, some wee fella who's uh, got a PhD in uh, aggression and turmoil and... Uh, The Lord might be whispering into your hair, into your ears. Love is not easily angered. It doesn't get irritable. And everybody gets 
irritable. You see, Paul was writing to the church. The disciples had the amazing privilege of walking with Jesus, of seeing him, of observing him in all sorts of circumstances and situations. And they, they never saw Jesus irritable. But they got irritable. The truth is, when we get irritable, it's a failure to love as Jesus loves. That's what it is. So, when do we get irritable? Well, the disciples were at the end of a busy and a tiring day. And I want to suggest that when we get tired and hungry at the end of a busy day, in which we have sought to serve the Lord faithfully, then we can become vulnerable and become irritated. You see, maybe the enemy in this instance once wanted to regain some ground he had lost. And maybe he wants to regain some ground from our hearts and lives too. Who gets irritable? Everyone. When do we get in, irritable? Very often when we're least likely to expect it to be irritable. And when we do get irritable, how does irritability treat other people? Well, basically, irritability doesn't want anything to do with other people. You see, when the disciples were irritated about how how long they had to wait for dinner, they said to Jesus, send everybody away. This was not the only time the disciples sought to keep people away from Jesus. Do you remember when the mothers wanted to bring the little ones to Jesus for him to bless? You know, children didn't really matter very much in the the Jewish culture, but they mattered to Jesus. In fact, we don't have a biblical picture, but I, I can in my heart and mind just see the little children coming to Jesus, climbing on his knee and running their fingers through his beard and I can see Jesus throwing back his head and roaring with laughter I can just see the little children attracted to him because he was just that kind of beautiful person but oh the disciples they were so annoyed, they just wanted uh, to get away from people. And when we're irritable, we want to get away from other people. Sometimes it's our family members, our neighbors, our classmates, our co-workers. Uh, and even if it means keeping other people away from Jesus too. That's a bit sad, isn't it? The disciples wanted Jesus to dismiss the people when the people really needed him. How sad that is. Now... Note that when they wanted Jesus to send the people away, they expected the people to use their own resources. They they didn't ask Jesus for help or offer help. They simply pushed the needy people away. And if you stop and think about it, that's a pretty unpleasant thing to do. You see, they cared less in those moments about the genuine welfare of people in need and more about the effect that the other people's problems were having on them. The idea of sending the crowds away may have been proposed as a way of getting something to eat, but surprise, surprise, it was also a way for the disciples to get what they wanted, namely a little peace and quiet and Sometimes even our way of helping someone turns out to be a little bit selfish because that's the way we are. 
This is how irritability teaches, treats other people by putting what we want ahead of what they need and if possible by trying to avoid their needs altogether. And you see in those circumstances the real problem is not other people, the real problem is ourselves, isn't it? What do we need? Don't we need the love of Jesus? Because love is not easily angered. And how does irritability respond to God? Well, a failure to love people is actually a failure to love God. Do you remember when Saul was on the road to Damascus and the Lord Jesus confronted him? And he fell to the ground and he heard the voice and he said, Who are you, Lord? And uh, the Lord Jesus responds and says, I am he whom you are persecuting. And then Jesus said, What you do to the least of these, my brothers, you do to me. Now if that's true, and we have every reason to believe it is, that means that when, when I get irritable with another Christian, I get irritable with God. And that's not a good thing, is it? That really makes me feel not very good at all. So a failure to love people is a failure to love God. And the Lord wanted them to understand that he has the resources to meet our needs, all of our needs. The disciples became irritated with our Lord. And you know something? For a moment or two, I think it damaged their relationship with him. It damaged their fellowship with him. It damaged their communion with him. How very sad. But we have in this passage what I think is the most wonderfully positive and beautiful picture. And it's simply this, the example of Jesus. The disciples were irritated, but everything Jesus did in Mark 6 is the exact opposite of everything the disciples did. They were hungry and they were anxious to get rid of folks, but Jesus was hungry, but he wasn't anxious to get rid of folks. In all likelihood, Jesus was every bit as tired and hungry as they were. And Jesus often was often worn out by the exertions of his ministry. Uh, and this time he'd been teaching and preaching all day. And remember, we looked at the context and we thought that Jesus had sent the disciples out. But just after that, John the Baptist, his cousin, had been murdered. Martyred, and I think that that would have impacted Jesus. If 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 your first cousin had been martyred in such a brutal way, beheaded, don't you think you would have felt it too? Especially as John the Baptist was active in serving the Lord. So I think Jesus had. Maybe a little sadness in his heart at that moment in time. You know it's hard work to be a preacher. I once uh, heard a homiletics professor claim that it, one hour of preaching was the same for him as four hours of hard labor. I know that on the end of a Sunday, I'm, I'm absolutely whacked. And I got to the stage where I had to have Monday off to recover. Because Sunday night I struggled with sleeping because I was thinking of all the things that I said that I shouldn't have said. And the things that I should have said that I didn't say. The things that I forgot to say that I meant to say. And all of that kind of stuff. Because it's a huge, big burden, a responsibility.
Yet rather than wishing the crowds away and getting irritated when they refused to leave, Jesus kept blessing them. And when we see him feeding the 5,000 with both daily bread and the word of God, we see that love, we see what love can do when it isn't irritated. How wonderful that was. Jesus drew people to himself. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them. And you know, the Lord Jesus looks at us today and he has compassion on us. He feels it deep down that we have needs. I don't know what they are. Maybe nobody else knows what your need is. But Jesus knows and he loves and he cares. And you see, Jesus regarded the needs of these people as being more important than his need of refreshment. That's what love does. It lets the needs of others determine our agenda rather than our own selfish desires. And one of the reasons the disciples wanted to send the people away and why they spoke to Jesus sarcastically was because of the absence of compassion. He said, you give them something to eat. They said that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them? What were they thinking of when they said that? They were thinking of their own hunger, weren't they? They weren't thinking of the needs of the crowd. They thought in terms of their own resources and their own needs. But Jesus trusted his father men men when people come to us with problems which are beyond us and with questions that we don't know how to answer expecting us to do what we can't have because we we don't have the resources we can get irritated we can get irritated but love takes what it has it lifts it up to god and asks him to make our lives a blessing that's the way jesus calls us to love and what I think is so wonderful is Jesus didn't get ticked off with his disciples he didn't get irritated by them he didn't say to them you're a shower of numpties why don't you listen and learn he didn't do that he just loved them he loved he loved them and he treated them with compassion it's the way he treats us too and what happened well it just says they all ate and were satisfied including the disciples. In fact, there were 12 baskets left over. Because you see, when our God supplies, he's not mean. He's generous even to his disciples who are a little bit um, sometimes naughty. Jesus has the same love for all his disciples and even after all the times that you and I have been irritated or exasperated with God or with God's people sometimes we can get exasperated by what God hasn't done in our lives do you know he never gets irritated and he is never too tired to deal with us he that watches over Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps He never goes to sleep on the job. Isn't that great? He keeps on loving us. And wonderful. And I'm so grateful because when I prepared this, the Lord, through his spirit, allowed me to see just how irritable I get. And it wasn't pretty. I tell you that. 
But what a wonderful thing it is to know that our sins are covered by the blood of Christ when Jesus gave his life on that cross. All my moments of irritation have been dealt with. And if you know Jesus, your sins are covered too because of the love of Jesus. And now you and I, we are called to love people the way Jesus loves, with a non-irritated and unangry love. And the truth is that some folks are bound to irritate us and annoy us because the authorized version describes God's people as God's peculiar people. And I think, on, on experience, based on experience, that he has his peculiar people fairly evenly distributed amongst the churches. Why? To keep us all humble and trusting in him. But we are called to love even the peculiar ones. And, and when the peculiar ones come and irritate us, as they do, how, how do we respond? Well, we will respond with love if we have asked Jesus to put his love into our lives. Because that, my friends, is a prayer that he loves to answer. So what's going to happen this week? I don't know. I just suspect that God, in his mercy, will give us all opportunities of learning just how irritable we get. Why? So that we might be reminded that we need to come to him. Because it's in coming to him and praying. That he tops up love, his love in our hearts. And then his love becomes evident in our lives. And what, the, what Scotland needs today is a vis- visible demonstration of Jesus. So the challenge to us is to make the love of Jesus visible. And when I think of all that he's got to do in my life, I'm almost driven to despair. But how wonderful he is, he doesn't give up. He doesn't give up. And maybe this morning he would just whisper into somebody's heart, I love you. I want to do something in you. That I might do something through you. That will bring glory to your Father in heaven. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you so very much for Jesus. We're so thrilled, O Lord, that having taught us that love doesn't get irritable, that you show us in that lovely passage of how you dealt with the, the apostles when they got irritated. How lovely that you fed them. You didn't allow them to be hungry. But you reminded them ever so gently that what mattered more than the satisfying of their own appetites was the gospel and the need of others to meet Jesus and to be set free by the gospel. And we do want to thank you for this church family, O Lord, for the way in which you have blessed them. And we ask, Father, that as they launch out into this new week with the children's mission that you would come and by grace do unusual and extraordinary things that God might be known and met in this place and that eternity would reveal that you did a work O Lord that brought some marvelous glory to your precious name We ask these things, Lord, as we commit one another into your care and keeping. In the beautiful and the lovely name of Jesus. Amen.